Well, thank you, worship team, and it's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you today and to open God's Word. To that end, I want to invite you to look with me to Luke 23. And uh, before I uh, jump in, I wanted to say a word to, to those of you who are here today and you feel that your heart has grown cold. I, just as I was singing, I, I felt like I wanted to speak to you today. Maybe you're like the, the tour guide at the Grand Canyon. And so day after day after day, you come to this marvelous wonder, um, but the wonder can be lost on you if you're not careful. If that's you here today, I just want to remind you, this quote from Thomas F. Torrance, the cross is a window into the very heart of God. That today we come and we behold this wondrous mystery, and, and yes, we return here again and again and again, and we will forever, but there is never a shortage of something for us to see. And yet sometimes our hearts are cold. These affections, they, they don't listen to us. And so t- this morning, I want to invite you to do something very simple. We're going to bow our heads together, and just quietly in your heart, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. God, help me to see what I need to see. God, soften my heart to feel what I ought to feel. Speak through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. His word goes forth, it never returns void. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I believe he answers that prayer as we pray it in faith. And so today we return to the Christ and we declare with the Apostle Paul, we preach Christ crucified. And here we see this window open to the very heart of God and we see his holiness and we see his love and we see his justice and we see his mercy and we see an endless supply of the goodness and the glory of our great God. So we have much to see. We're going to read a great chunk of text today, and so I want to just jump right in. Look with me to Luke 23. We're going to read from verses 26 to verse 56. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living, active word to us today. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. There followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves, for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription written over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly? 
for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed, and the the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid, it, laid him in a tomb cut of stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation. The Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning as we step into this text, we are invited by Luke to walk with Jesus to the cross. And what a beautiful invitation because Jesus said to us, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. So what does it look like to carry the cross? Well, here here in our mind's eye, we catch a glimpse of our Savior walking to Calvary's hill. In our mind's eye, we see a glimpse of the crowds mocking him as he moved forward to save them. We, we see a glimpse of the darkness that descended. We see a, a glimpse of the, the horror of the crucifixion itself. What's more, as we walk with him, and what I would invite you to do with me this morning, we have the opportunity to lean in and to listen to the words that come from his mouth as he makes his way to the crucifixion. And James tells us that uh, from the overflow, no, Jesus tells us, from the overflow of the heart, The mouth speaks. So what was overflowing from Jesus' heart as he made his way to Calvary's hill? First, consider what he says to the women. There are women, so if you can picture this in your mind, Jesus is now stumbling forward and the women are watching and here they see this teacher whom they love, this weak and wounded and and disfigured and barely recognizable teacher. And they watch as he's so weak he can't even carry his own cross. And he stumbles forward and the guards behind him are just are pushing him along as he stumbles. And, and the sight of this spectacle breaks their hearts. And it would break your heart too. And they look at Jesus and they feel this great sympathy for this weak, broken man and they weep. What does he say? He turns to them and he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves. For your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that have never nursed. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Jesus is saying, 
You're weeping for the wrong thing. Don't, don't weep for me in this moment. Weep for the fact that the, this offer of grace is being rejected. If this is what they do when the King of Righteousness comes to His people, if this is what they do when the Son of God is in their midst, if this is what they do when the wood is green, what will they do to the wicked, to the unrighteous, to those who have rejected grace, to the dry wood standing all around us? Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. Now Jesus was, was most certainly pointing forward to a day of destruction that was coming for Jerusalem. That happened in AD 70 when Rome besieged Jerusalem. It was a horrific time, a terrible time for those mothers who were nursing, who had little babies. He was certainly pointing forward to that time. But as he often does, he was pointing forward through that time to the final judgment that was to come. The judgment where the Apostle Paul describes, the judgment when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And that is a fate that is far worse than the crucifixion. Jesus went to the cross such that none of us would have to endure that fate, that fate that we deserve. And yet many have chosen, are choosing, will choose to burn in hell rather than bow to their king. And Jesus weeps for them. And so too should we. Leon Morris observes, at this moment, as he goes out to execution, Jesus thinks not of himself, but of them. He wants their repentance, not their sympathy. What does it mean for us to take up our cross and follow Jesus? It means that that heart ought to begin to beat in us. As we carry our burden, we look out at a world that is broken and lost and dying and descending to hell. We see a glimpse of this earlier when Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem. If you remember before Palm Sunday, as he draws near to Jerusalem, the text says, when he drew near to the city and he saw it, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But they're hidden from your eyes. I don't know if we have people here today who have not bowed their knee to Jesus, but I I would want to speak to you. You need to understand that there is a day coming when every knee will bow before His throne. There is a day coming when the wrath of God will be poured out perfectly, justly, righteously against every single sin that has ever been committed. And the wrath of God against our sin will either fall on the cross where Jesus has borne it perfectly for us or it will fall on those who have chosen to hold on to their sin in rebellion to the King. You need to know that that day is coming. Jesus knew that that day was coming and He looks out over those who have rejected this glorious offer, this free offer of grace, and He weeps for them. And these women are looking at Jesus, and perhaps you're here today, and we think of his broken body, and we see Jesus, and we're, we're sympathetic for him, for his frailty, for, for what he suffered in his flesh. And Jesus looks to them, and he looks to us, and he says, your sympathy, your sorrow is directed in the wrong place. This is victory. Look out there, church. Weep for this. Weep for the city of Aurelia. Weep for Jerusalem. Weep for people who have, who have rejected this offer and are going to suffer a fate far worse than this. 
Let that break your heart today. O women of Jerusalem, the day is coming when he will judge. But until that day, Jesus weeps and he pleads and he extends his mercy and so too should we. Would that you, even you, had known the things that make for peace. This is his love for his enemies. This is his love for sinners. Sinners like you and sinners like me. This is the expression of his heart that we see in Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked may turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? And so Jesus staggered to the cross, to the place where he would be brutally murdered, and we laughed at him, and we mocked him, and we despised him. And he looked out over his enemies with tears of mercy. And as he reached his destination, the soldiers nailed him to his cross, and they lifted him up between two thieves. At which point we lean in and we hear him speak again. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I've read this passage countless times, and I suspect so have many of you, and I confess, it feels as if Jesus is being a tad too generous when he says this. They know not what they do. I, I think of these religious rulers who have, they watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They listened to Jesus teach. They studied the scriptures. Here are these leaders. They're looking at Jesus. They're laughing amongst one another, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. It seems as if they know what they're doing, doesn't it? And I look at the guards who are, who are next to these religious leaders who are laughing and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. What kind of Christ is this, they say? What kind of king is this, this weak, powerless, frail, dying man? Come on down, Jesus, if you're so powerful. The more I meditate on this passage, the more I'm inclined to agree with Pastor G. Campbell Morgan who argues... I submit that humanity has never seen a greater man than in the man Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's greatness. What kind of love is this? I, I just think about your week, Christian. I'm thinking about mine. How often we, we struggle to forgive our spouse for not putting away the dishes. How often we struggle to forgive our friend for, for failing to return a phone call. Struggle to forgive our coworker for making a simple mistake, a mistake that we've made all the time. And here is Jesus who is looking out and he is forgiving those very people who have just nailed him to a tree. And he's forgiving those people who, who as he's praying this prayer of forgiveness, are mocking him and reviling him and rejecting him. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. They are not apologizing. They have not asked for forgiveness. They have not done anything that we would say, humanly speaking, with our justice mindset. They've not done anything that would merit any forgiveness. And yet here Jesus is offering it to them freely. Praying for his enemies. Can, I just, can we apply this for a moment? Christians, how dare we hold on to grudges? As we come to the cross... 
As we see this, if we're seeing this as we should and we're going to come to the Lord's Supper and we're going to consider the body of Christ, the people in this room, how dare we hold on to grudges over such petty, small things? And you think, well, it's not a small thing, Pastor. I'm holding on to a grudge over a big thing. Did they nail you to a cross? Did they laugh at you while you bled out and died to save them? I didn't think so. So you can forgive. You can forgive. We must forgive. And while Jesus used this, his final painful breath, to pray blessing on his enemies, the criminals next to him are using their final breaths to curse him. Imagine that. On the cross, it's hard to breathe. That won't be too graphic. But in order to draw a breath, you have to press up against these nails so that you can breathe. Just to speak required this great pain. Jesus uses that to bless But they're using their final breaths to curse him. In Matthew's gospel and John's gospel, we're told that both of these criminals are cursing Jesus. But then Luke includes this beautiful detail that actually one of the criminals, by God's grace and a miracle of mercy, his eyes were opened to see Jesus and his tune changed. We read, he speaks to his fellow criminal who's mocking and he's just been, he'd just been doing this, but He sees Jesus rightly and he turns to his criminal and he says, do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. To which Jesus replied, and we lean in and we listen to his heart overflowing in this moment. He says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. How beautiful is that? I mean, here's this man. He's a sinner. He's a sinner like us. He's he's the kind of sinner that you look at, you write off. Here's this man. He's hanging. He's just been mocking Jesus. But now he sees, I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. With his words, he looks at this criminal and he says, we deserve this. And right there, he's owning his sin. saying, we've done wrong and we deserve this. And then he's looking in faith to Jesus and he's saying, remember me, help me. That sure sounds like repentance, doesn't it? He didn't even know what to ask for. As far as we know, this man had never listened to Jesus preach and teach. He doesn't seem like the kind of man that was frequenting the temple or the synagogues. He's a criminal. He doesn't know what to ask for. But as he hears these religious leaders and these guards mocking Jesus as a king, as he sees the crown of thorns and the sign over his head that says the king of the Jews, his eyes are open and he sees, I'm hanging next to royalty. I am hanging next to royalty. They speak better than they know. And I have the ear of the king, me, a sinner. So I'm going to ask. And in that moment, in this profound exercise of faith, he, he looks to Jesus and he says, remember me. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me. And in that instant, all of the sin in this man's life, everything that should separate him from a holy, holy, holy God was removed from him as far as the east is from the west. And he was forgiven. And he was saved. I love this quote from Richard Sibbs. He says, there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Amen? Now we know that that true saving faith leads to a transformed life. It's evidenced by change. As I understand, uh, for you at Cornerstone, you heard a sermon on this just last Sunday. Right? Real faith produces real change. 
as God changes us from the inside out. Amen? Amen. But what happens when, when there's no opportunity to observe any change? What happens when you share the gospel with your, your dying uncle on his deathbed and he looks up and he, and with the faith he can muster, says, I need Jesus. Does God save such people? What happens? Think of this man. I, um, there's this brilliant um, YouTube video that's circulating around right now by Alistair Begg. Um, and if you haven't seen it, you should look it up. It's worth seeing. I'm going to do my best to capture it, but I'm, I don't have the accent and I don't have the wit. But he, bear with me. I don't usually do this. But he, it, Alistair Begg just said, boy, can you imagine meeting this man in heaven? He says, I can't wait to ask him. Like, how did that go? You get to heaven, you come to these pearly gates, and you, you, you see this angel at the door, and you say, here I am. And the angel at the door says, who are you? And he, why are you? Why are you, let me just, let me get my supervisor. And the supervisor comes and the supervisor says to him, well, sir, have you been baptized? And he says, I, no. He says, well, have you, you ever partaken of communion? He says, I don't know what that is. Have you been to a Bible study? Never. Well, well, let's just get past it. Let's just, why don't you explain to me that your doctrine of justification? And the guy says, your doctrine of the Bible then. And so the angel just, bewildered, looks at him and says, well then, on what basis, by what grounds are you here today? And he looks at him and he says, the man on the center cross said I could come. Isn't that the best? The man on the center cross, and, and it's, of course, it's Alistair Begg, just, it's, it's, it's fun, it's funny, and yet it, it's a glimpse of what happened on that day. On what basis is he there? What has he done that could merit what he has received? The man on the center cross said he could come. Brothers and sisters, I would just ask you today, did Jesus Christ die in your place on that cross? Did he say that you could come? Have you heard his voice inviting you to receive this grace? Have you turned from your sin and looked to Jesus with as much or as little theological understanding as you could muster? Have you looked to him and believed in faith that I can come because of him? If that's you, if that's true, then listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care what lies the devil's whispering in your ear. You can come. And so we come today with great expectation. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And after that glorious display of mercy, Jesus proceeds to pay the price that makes it possible for sinners like that thief and sinners like you and sinners like me to enter the kingdom. There are three hours of darkness that fall. Jesus drank the cup of wrath. God's just, righteous abhorrence of every sin that has ever been committed by his people placed on Jesus where he bore it perfectly and finally for us. And the veil in the temple was torn because through Jesus a way has now been made for all of God's people to enter into his presence And with a loud voice, Jesus declared, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Our God is love. And here in this moment, I would argue, we catch a glimpse into this mysterious, profound, glorious love that exists within our triune God. He overflows his love to us. Uh, Many of the commentaries I studied over the past week pointed back to the first words of Jesus recorded in Luke's Gospel. 
I won't quiz you, but I wonder if you remember. What were the first words recorded of Jesus in the gospel? It was the time when he went with his family to worship in Jerusalem. They went on their pilgrimage, and it was a big family. And then the family left, and it was such a big family that nobody noticed that they left Jesus. And they traveled for a day away from Jerusalem, and they realized Jesus isn't with us. So then they traveled a day back. So for two days, Jesus, little Jesus is in Jerusalem. And when they find him, where do you think he is? He's in the temple. And what are the first words of Jesus in Luke's gospel? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So with his first words in Luke's gospel and with his final words in Luke's gospel, Jesus is demonstrating that it is his joy, it is his delight, it is his privilege to do the will of his father. He loves the father and the father loves the son. And our triune God is love. And so you're going to hear, Christian, I'm sure you already have, that some are going to look at, at Good Friday and they're going to look at the cross and say, this is, this is despicable. This is cosmic child abuse, that God would do that to his son. But here we see that Jesus was not subjected to the cross. Jesus was not forced to the cross. Jesus went to the cross willingly, deliberately, joyfully, as an expression of his love for the Father, whose will he delighted to do. Why? Why? Simple question. We're here on Good Friday. What is this all? Why is this even happening? Why would our holy, holy, holy God even do this? For God so loved the world. Then he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God's love is so profound that it's, it's an overflowing love. It's an inviting others in kind of love. And he's inviting us into this love. And the problem is that you and I in our sin shouldn't be allowed into this because our sin ruins the love. Our sin makes a mess of the love. It, it hurts people and it dishonors God and it separates us from him. But our God is so profound in his love that he puts this plan in motion to make a way for people like us to come to him. And maybe you're here today and you think, not me. Nope, nope, you don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. I don't know your story and I don't know what you've done. But here's the scandal. He knows all of it. He knows the stuff that you don't even see. He sees the wicked motives behind the stuff that you think is good. He sees the worst of you on your worst day. He's seen all of it. And he so loved you that he sent his son. The love of God today invites us in. Do you see it? It is finished. It is finished. If you repent of your sin and you put your trust in Jesus, it is finished. It's removed as far as the east is from the west. It is gone from you in an instant, like the thief on the cross. Gone. The door is open, church. The door is open, strangers, visitors. It's open. The way has been made. The curtain is torn. So come. Come. To the Savior who weeps for sinners, come. To the King who prays for forgiveness over his enemies, come. The man on the center cross said you could come. So come unto Jesus and be saved. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I keep my prayer simple. I pray uh, two things right now. First, I pray that you would glorify yourself by saving sinners today. 
I pray that you would glorify yourself by opening the eyes of someone just like that thief on the cross, someone who was mocking you yesterday but turns in praise today. Would you do it? God, you do it all the time. So I'm just praying in faith that you would do that right now. God, I pray secondarily that you would help us who have eyes to see, that you would help us to respond to you with lives of of obedience and love and delight in you. I pray that we would go away from this service, go away from this holy week, go away from this gathering, a people who are so enamored with our great God that our lives look so different from the world, that we obey you out of delight, that we live for you out of joy, that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and the world looks at us and they see light and they see salt, and they hear us as we look to them and say, come. God, so I pray for these things. Draw the lost. Awaken the affections of those who are yours. And receive all of the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said,